it's more challenging to buy a bunch of single family homes compared to one transaction of many units within an apartment community. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal Best Ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from your bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payment to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way, and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we're doing follow along Friday today. I'm pumped because we're going to be talking about apartments, but we're also talking about single family homes, something that you and I both have experience in investing in. And this came from a conversation that I had at a meetup that I host in Cincinnati. I hosted it two days ago and the lady came up to me afterwards and she said, how come you don't do single family homes anymore? Why do you do apartments? And that's what kind of generated or that's the impetus for our conversation today. And we're structuring it uniquely, aren't we? We're going to do some back and forth. What's the way we're going to do this, Theo? So I'm going to play the role of the apartment investor. You're going to play the role of the single family rental investor. So we're kind of going to go back and forth and have a kind of like a debate to just kind of portray the pros and cons of each. And you can decide either who the winner is or which strategy is best for your current situation. Cool. And I'm going to have to do my best days of our lives impression because I am an apartment investor, as I'm sure everyone knows who's listening to this show. But I'm going single family home on this and Theo's taking apartments just to spice things up. So let's do this. And then I'm going to mention a couple things after we get done that kind of 
or top of mind when I was talking to the lady at the meetup. But I'm going to mention that towards the end because I want to wholeheartedly embrace my role as a single family home investor for the purposes of this conversation. Exactly. So basically everything that you're saying is not necessarily what you believe and what you prefer for doing this just to get the point across. So I'd say the first thing or the biggest reason why apartment investing or just multifamily investing in general is preferred to single family investing comes with the fact that for single family investing, if you have one vacancy, obviously you're getting zero rental income. If you have one maintenance issue and you're only making a couple hundred dollars per month in profit, then one large maintenance issue that could wipe out your profits for a month or potentially even a year, depending on the size. A perfect example would be for my buildings. If I were to have, if I was a single family house and I had to pay as much as I did for the HVAC repair, I would not have made money on that single family house for a very long time, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably multiple years. But since there's 12 units that are bringing income in to cover that cost, it's only a, a couple of months of downtime. I'll start with that. And also you can say the same thing for not only a vacancy, but the, the cost associated with that vacancy in regards to turnover costs. And so not only are you getting no rent coming in for that month or however long it's vacant for, but also you have to pay for the turnover costs. And if you had a tenant that not necessarily destroyed the unit, but did some damage to the unit, again, you could lose your profits for a couple of months. And just conversely for the apartments, that is spread across, as I kind of mentioned, across multiple units. So one person or even two people leaving is not going to have as much of an effect as it would on a single family house. The main expense with single family and mostly multifamily is turnover costs. So I agree with you when I've got a single family house and someone moves out, it's a large chunk of money and it's likely going to knock out the majority of my profits. So Knowing that that's the main variable that could really sink the investment from a short-term cash flow standpoint. Long-term, you pay down the mortgage, you get some tax breaks on the mortgage insurance, and once the mortgage is wiped away, you're doing pretty well with the house and the cash flow. But short-term, the key is to not have people move out. And if you do have someone move out, it's just being more hands-on, making sure that you've got someone waiting to take their place because everyone has a life event, but do you have the tenant or resident rather, a new one ready to take their place? So for me, the argument of with one person moves out in an apartment building, then I'm at, if it's four unit apartment building, then I'm at 75% occupancy versus if it's a single family home at zero. For me, that's just laziness in management because if you have a single family home and you know someone's going to move out, then fill it. Just fill it and have it pre-leased. Sure, there's going to be some turnover costs. You can't really mitigate that other than having a bulletproof management plan where you document what the unit or house looked like prior to them moving in. And then you document prior to them moving out, you screen properly so that anything that they were responsible for tearing up, they compensate you for. Now, sure, there's going to be normal wear and tear that you've got to pay out of pocket, but there's a lot of stuff that if they mess up, they need to fix. They need to compensate you for it. So if you do have a single family home, you can have the advantage of having a highly occupied property continuously as long as you're managing it the right way. 
from an expense standpoint, the way that we take advantage of the tax code is we repair things versus replace them. Because when you repair them, it's considered something different than if you buy something brand new. And when you are managing it properly or your property management company is managing it properly, you shouldn't have to replace a bunch of stuff. You should continually be repairing things. That way, one, nothing major happens along the way. For the most part, there's always going to be something. Two, you're getting the tax advantages for that single family home and for the repair jobs. Yes, I agree. For all the cons for both single family and apartments, they can be overcome with proper experience, the right team, not being lazy, as you said. Something else to touch on is because you could argue that for the maintenance issue, yeah, you can overcome that. But one thing that I think is more difficult to overcome is the scalability of single family homes. When you're looking at buying an apartment, you're buying four units at a time, 10 units at a time, 12 units at a time. And if you're buying it in your own personal name, that is all going to be under one loan. Whereas if you're buying a single family house, that's one unit per loan. And again, obviously there's ways to get around this. You could raise money. You could just get a commercial loan on a single family house. I know some lenders do that. But the general way that people will buy their single family rentals is with a loan on their personal name, which depending on who you use, you can get four to 10 of those before you have to start doing some creative financing, getting jumbo loans, and what are other strategies to buy single-family homes. Whereas with the apartments, you, know, you can get 10 units with one loan. And so it's kind of like, a, depending on the size of the apartment that you get, you can get the benefits of multiple single-family houses under one loan and with one purchase. And if you're buying these commercial properties from, as far as I know, if you're putting them in an LLC, as long as you have the money and you're doing the proper due diligence, of course, there really is no limit to the number that you can get from the commercial lender as long as the property itself meets their underwriting criteria. I agree with you. It's more challenging to buy a bunch of single family homes compared to one transaction of many units within an apartment community. So I'll certainly agree with you on that point. Barring an outlier scenario, for example, I just interviewed someone who bought 50 single family homes in one transaction from a gentleman who owned them in Muskegon, Muskegon, Michigan, Muskie something, Michigan. (laughs) And he got seller financing terms. He financed them through the seller financing like 15 years. I forget the exact terms, but barring some outlier situation like that, it's, more challenging to get the financing and the transactions done. The flip side though, so on the entry going in, it can be more challenging, but what about the exit? If you need flexibility with your finances, if you need a little bit more liquidity, well, if you have 50 single family homes versus a 50 unit apartment building, and my son or daughter just now wants to go to private school because the school district is filled with drug dealers and bad stuff overnight. Something happened. I don't know what happened, but that's what happened. Well, I don't want to sell my entire apartment community. Maybe I can get a supplemental loan on the apartment community, or maybe I do a refinance. So I could do some things like that. Or if I have 50 single family homes, hey, How about I sell one of those or two of those single family homes, 
Maybe I do a land contract. Maybe I just sell it outright, get the cash. And that would allow me to keep the bulk of my portfolio, but gives me more liquidity than an apartment building because then I can sell off one or two of those. And now my kids are no longer subjected to that. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure how long it takes to pull money out of an apartment building. That's something that you would know more than I would. But my counter to that, if it was the kind of a, an unexpected event where it needed to be pulled out quickly, it sounds like it would be easier to do it just based off of the fact that you could sell one of your single family homes out of your portfolio. But if you know ahead of time, for example, if you're wanting to save up for your kid's college fund or he's going to college in four years or he's at college, you know he's going to graduate in four years and you want to get him a house, then you can buy an apartment and through forcing appreciation, buying it preferably below market value and increasing the rents since the value of the properties based off of the net operating income and the, obviously the market cap rate, you have the opportunity to force appreciation more than you would on the single family, which is based off of the actual sales comps. Now, of course, I do know that you could buy a single family really low and fix it up and then have it appreciate that way. But from the apartment perspective, it seems like you can force appreciation to a higher level because obviously it's a larger building. And something else that I didn't specify in the beginning is it kind of depends on what you're talking about with apartment investing because it can mean a lot of different things. It can mean kind of what I'm doing where I'm buying four units at a time, but it could also be what you're doing. Well, I guess not the you in this debate, but the actual Joe is doing for apartment syndications where you're actually raising money. And if that's the case, then that is assuming you have the relationships with the right team as well as people that can raise money from. Return on investment perspective for the syndicator, it far exceeds that of a single family investing because yeah, you'll have money in the deal, but based off all the fees you collect during the deal and then the big chunk of capital you make at the end of the deal far exceeds anything you make from single family investing in my opinion. Okay. So I've basically been playing off of what you've been saying and then doing counterpoints, but I want to turn the table on you and I want to talk about some things from a single family home standpoint. It's a lot easier because I have lived and I know people who live in homes and rent homes, but I don't know anyone who has bought an apartment complex. I don't know where to begin. And with the single family home, I pretty much get it. People rent, the rent pays the mortgage and the single family home is a way to make money and have another house. And it's a lot easier for me to understand. So the barrier for my entry into investing with single family homes is a lot easier. There's a lot more real estate agents I can talk to who sell me single family homes. I don't know one apartment building real estate agent, if that's what they're called. And on top of that, there's a lot of money involved, I imagine, in buying apartments versus single families. And I can get a sense of accomplishment by buying one house, then another house, then another house versus me trying to buy an apartment building and learning the whole process. I mean, that seems like a whole nother type of education I'll have to do. Yeah, I agree. The largest con of the apartment investing, whether it be, I would say the apartment's indicating because for me, I bought a duplex. I own a single family home that I rent and I have fourplexes and they're all very similar. So when we're getting into the big things, the big apartments, yes, the biggest con is a barrier to entry from an educational standpoint, from an experience standpoint, because you need a proven record to 
be respected by people that are selling the deals, but also to raise money for the deals. And obviously the barrier to entry of having people that have hundreds of thousands of dollars laying around to invest in the deal. But my counter to that would be, there's this guy out there named Joe Fairless who's teaching everyone exactly how to do this. And they've done a blog post, we have a book coming out that's giving you the exact step-by-step process of doing apartment syndication. And something you said earlier about basically the single family investors having issues with one maintenance cost, losing all of their profits or having high vacancy rates, they're being lazy. I would say that kind of a similar situation here. If you are the person that is using the high barrier to entry, always could take a lot of time and work up to this. I would just say are being lazy. <laughs> Fair enough. And something else that you have to say too a lot is about not being selfish. And so if you're afraid of raising money or you're afraid of becoming a syndicator because you're kind of focusing on yourself and not focusing on how you raising money for your deals will benefit the people that are invested because you're allowing them to reach their financial goals and they'll have more free time to do what they want to do. And if they have more money, they'll be able to donate more to charity. They'll be able to add more value to the world in general. Is that something that you can't really get with single family investing because it's just you making the profit, whereas here is kind of spread apart across a bunch of people at the same time. You didn't mention the magic of cap rates. You take your NOI and you divide it by the cap rate and then you got your value versus single family homes. They're just valued based on sales comp. So you can really force appreciation. Oh, I guess I'm not the single family home guy anymore. (laughs) You can really force appreciation. You have more opportunity to force appreciation with apartments versus single family homes. I know you can convert a single family home that's maybe zoned for commercial into an office. So there's a way you force appreciation or you build on top or you add a room or something, but there's really nothing like apartments and scale. You can force a large amount of appreciation. And then if you're in a good area, you got the cap rate and that's a multiplier effect for your value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I mentioned that when we were having the scenarios about the person who knows ahead of time that they Uh, are going to need equity in the future. But I think that's where the end of this little debate. Do you want to briefly mention why you personally transitioned from single family investing to apartment syndications? Yes. When Sherry, the lady who asked me about this at my meetup afterwards, she phrased it in such an interesting way. She said, wouldn't it be easier to do single families over multifamilies to be where you're at. And she said to be where you're at. And I was like, well, to be where my company's at, we've got $265 million worth of apartment communities right now. And roughly 35% is equity. So that's $92 million worth of cash into these deals that my investors and I and my business partner, Frank, and we've put into these deals. $92 million. Well, I can tell you when I started out, I didn't have $92 million, nor if I was investing in single family homes, would I today most likely have $92 million. I had $50,000 in my bank whenever I got started. So it's a lot easier to, easy definitely isn't the right word, but it's more effective to do apartment investing to get to larger numbers faster than single family investing. That's for sure. And especially if you partner with other people like we do, accredited investors, then we all get to where we want faster. So that's one reason you get to where you want to go faster and you help others along the way. So two thumbs up for that. The other 
is last week, it might have been this week, I got an email from my property management company who manages my single family homes. I've got three single family homes in Dallas, Fort Worth. And actually it was on Monday. I remember it was on Monday because the email started, bad news to start out your week. <laughs> I was like, okay, hit me. What we got? What we got? But I know it's coming from my single family management company. So dude, they can't say anything that would be bad news for me. It's peanuts compared to what bad news would be from CityGate, our multifamily property management company. So this is my single family property management company. All right, fine. Bad news. What we got? It's a circuit breaker that went out, $2,000. They have to completely replace. Okay, mm-hmm. that sucks. But I make 250 bucks a month on the house-ish. So it's going to wipe out the profits for the next 12 months. Okay, that's just the reality of it. And, and in big picture, it's not that big of a deal because of my portfolio now. But if I had three single family homes and I was banking on the fact that they would continue to make money each month while I had my W-2 job and that money each month would then be saved to buy my next house, which was my previous plan, then that would be Armageddon. Armageddon would be taking place because I now have a budget with my W-2 job or in this hypothetical scenario, I'd have a budget with my W-2 job. I might save a little bit. But really, these quote-unquote investments, these three single-family homes, they're supposed to be making money. And they do for the most part, but then when something like this happens, boom, there it goes. It all goes away for 12 months. And I bought these the right way. I mean, these are three homes. I mean, the first house I bought for $76,000, it rents for about $1,200. The second house I bought for $81,000, it rents for about $1,200. And the third house I bought for 65000 It rents for like eleven or 1150 And they're in decent areas. They've all doubled in value for whatever that's worth. So they're good, solid cash flowing purchases and they don't really make money. And I'd have to get to a much higher degree of scale. And in order to do that, if I just focus on single families, there's a lot of paperwork involved. There's a lot of finding the deals involved. And it's just the amount of time that it takes to find one of those, the amount of time it takes to probably find three single family homes, I could find one 100 unit apartment building that makes sense to purchase. So for those reasons alone, not to mention all the other stuff that you brought up, that's why we do apartments. And that's why we've got the business that we've got. I agree wholeheartedly. And even if you're, again, as we talked about earlier, or don't want to do massive apartments, at least do duplexes or fourplexes, again, as opposed to single families, just because you're not getting as much of the value that you get from doing apartments. But in my opinion, I think it's still better than having just one unit because of all the reasons you just listed. And I think it's more scalable. And then of course, obviously you can scale single family investing. People do it. But as Joe mentioned, the apartment and multifamily strategy is a lot more, not easy, but effective, more efficient at scaling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sweet. So I'll go into some quick updates that I've got on my business. I officially sent out the direct mailer, I believe, on Monday or Tuesday of this week. So as I mentioned, I think last week, it's actually being set up and sent out by a real estate agent. So it's just got her branding on it. And it's basically, she's sending it out on behalf of a client, me being the client. And I actually haven't seen anyone do that before. So I don't know what the success rate is on that. I've done it. You've done it through an agent? Yeah, my sister. And how did it work? We got some responses. I didn't close on anything, but this was about three years ago. So, 
Well, I haven't heard anything yet. So maybe they haven't reached those people yet, but we sent out 400 of them and we're going to send out another one in, I believe two or three months. I can't remember exactly when. So I'm looking forward to talking about the success from that. And then I've got my first meetup in six days and it's actually already sold out. Wow. Based off of the limit that I put on there. And I keep raising the limit as people join just because I want it to be sold out. So right now there's 11 people going. Sly marketing tactic you got there. (laughs) Yeah. I just found out last night that that was reduced to 10 because my wife can't come because she's got something something going on. At least it didn't go from two to one. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. So I'm going to keep increasing that. And I actually, we're talking about before the recorded, but I got lunch with one of your investors this week and she's looking to start a multifamily specific meetup group. She lives about an hour north of me. So we're kind of like bouncing around ideas of potentially based off of the success of this meetup and the conversations I have with the people that are there doing a bi-monthly meetup where we'll do one that's general to all types of investors because the people coming here are agents, some of them are investors, some of them are insurance brokers. And then doing another one either up closer to her or in a more central location that's specifically geared towards multifamily just because she's interested in multifamily, I'm interested in multifamily. And so kind of just combining forces to not necessarily do two separate meetups, but kind of under one umbrella. So that's just kind of an idea that we were rattling around with, and that might be something that we do, again, depending on how this meetup goes. Um, I love it. Join forces. Glad you met up with her, too. On your meetup, do you have to pay to attend? No, it's free. There's going to be, so your meetup's in six days. That is well, Wednesday. Wednesday, okay. So next fall on Friday, I'm looking forward to hearing how many attend. Because what I found with the free meetups is that you'll get a big RSVP list, but then a small percentage will actually attend. When I started my meetup in Cincinnati, as you probably remember, it was free. And then I'd have all these RSVPs and a small percentage would actually show up. So now I charge, what is it, $2.50 to RSVP and I say no refunds and then I just use that money and buy pizza. And I have like a 95% attendance rate based on RSVPs. So I'm interested to hear if that holds true with what you're doing. I mean, maybe you'll end up doing like a $2 thing too, or if mine was just an anomaly. What I did for this one, I don't think I could do this for every single one, especially as it grows. But whenever I got the email notification that someone RSVP'd, I private messaged them on the Meetup app. Just kind of a welcome to the group. Thanks for RSVPing. Looking forward to learning more about you and your business. And they replied like, oh yeah. Oh, actually there's one guy or girl. I'm not sure because they have like a pseudonym as their name, but they were on your podcast. I don't know what their name is yet, but I'll meet them for hopefully when they come. So I'm hoping that maybe this approach of reaching out to them might have more people come. But again, we'll see. And if not, then I agree. We're doing it at a restaurant. And it'd be really annoying if you know we got 15 people signed up and I make a reservation for 15 people. And then five people are there. We got this big empty table. That, that would not look too good. <laughs> hey, I've been there before. It happens in the early days. It certainly happened with me. The other thing I want to ask you about, you learned about some tactics at the conference. You talked about this, actually. Didn't we talk about this last week? Tactics to grow your meetup? I don't think I did. I don't think I okay. mentioned What are a couple tactics that you learned that will help grow the meetup? One was messaging people who attended previous meetups and then telling them that you've got a meetup, right? Something like that? 
Yes, there's four keys to a meetup. And again, we kind of briefly mentioned it last week, but we didn't go into the details. And again, this is from Adam Adams out of Denver. And one thing, which is kind of what I did, you call it a slick marketing move, which is you cap the size of the events on meetup.com. So what you do is you'll say, you're starting out, you'll say, for example, 10 people. And then let's say you get eight people show up. An hour before the meeting, go in there and you reduce the cap to eight people. So it says that it's sold out. And the reason you do that ties into number two, which is if you want to invite speakers, because he invites speakers to his event, you can sell them on the fact that your meetups are always sold out. And so you can say, hey, I've got this meetup group. It's always sold out. Do you want to come and speak to these active real estate investors? And kind of in combination with that, what he would do is he'd invite a speaker. So let's say, for example, he invites a wholesaler to come in and talk. He'll go on meetup.com and type in your wholesaling groups. And I'll find the wholesaling groups in the area. Now, again, this might not work for smaller markets, but if there's a wholesaling group, he'll go in there and he'll private message the most recent, I can't remember the exact number that he said, but he'll email. I thought you said 30. Yeah, 30 or 50. 30. It's 30 yeah. or 50. He'll direct message him and say, hey, I've got this meetup group. We have the speaker. Here's their information. They're, I saw you're a wholesaler and they're a wholesaler too. Would you like me to send you the link? That way, you're not just sending them the link and then not getting a response. That way, if they're interested, they'll respond and say yes, and then you'll send them the link. And so that's the way to kind of grow your meetup. Something else he said, too, and these are kind of, in my opinion, smaller tactics. Those first two, I think, were key. Mm -hmm. And these two are, make sure you let the group know what's coming up and then what has already happened. So if you make a Facebook group, not only do you want to post messages about upcoming events, Mm -hmm. who's going to be the speaker there, but you also want to talk about like what happened in the past. And so you want to take pictures of the event, maybe write up a blog post about what the speaker talked about. So kind of use old events to kind of attract people, but also talk about what's coming in the future to also attract people to your meetup group. And I guess the fifth one was he recommends doing them weekly as opposed to monthly to grow them faster. So those are the five. So cap your event, invite a speaker, and then depending on what niche that a speaker is in, find that group on meetup and messages to the members of that group, talk about what's coming up, talk about what happened, and then do it weekly. Grant, who is our lead and social media for our team, and also a heads up logistical stuff for my local meetup. Grant, I know you're listening. Now we got five things to take ours to the next level. Sweet. What else we got? Anything else? So make sure you guys check out the best ever community on Facebook, bestevercommunity.com. We post a question to there each week. And if you answer it, you'll have the opportunity to be featured in a blog post. This week, the question is about markets. And we're asking what real estate market are you having the most success in and why? And you can determine what it means by success. So make sure you go to bestevercommunity.com, look for that thread and submit your answer and you could be featured on the Best Ever blog. Sweet. And we got our book coming out. It's written and we're just going through the review process. So I've got a stack of 40 pages that I'm reading through and we're making edits. So I'm thinking on Amazon in for sure by May 1st, right? Oh, Come on, yeah. we can commit to that. For sure right? by May 1st. Yeah. For, I'm by. Well, I'm just given the production yeah. time and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah. We want it to be as soon as possible. Well, we want it to be as best as possible. And then however long it takes, it takes, but we're closing it. So that's a book on apartment syndication. Nothing else like it. You'll get a lot of value from it if you're wanting to raise money and or buy apartments. You can get updates at, what is the newsletter URL? 
best uh, ever bestevernewsletter.com bestevernewsletter.com if that takes you to someone else's website then i apologize <laughs> but i think best it's bestever.com confirm all right sweet sweet we'll release that on may 6th because that's my birthday and i want everyone to remember my birthday <laughs> <laughs> most important is that this is about theo that's the exactly. most important thing you're just what like else? last week with the comment so just to wrap up make sure you guys subscribe on itunes and please leave a review it helps us out a lot and you could also, again, be featured on these follow-along Fridays. This week, we've got the review of the week from Protégé A. Protégé. Protégé. And uh, it's spelled a lot differently. Right? Oh, okay. They say, Real Estate Advice on the Go is their title, which I think would be a great name for a podcast. That is a good name for a podcast. And they said, Joe does a great job of sharing his knowledge and his friend's knowledge, which I hope is me. Uh, with <laughs> listeners <laughs> want to learn about various real estate investing opportunities from somebody who's not trying to sell you one, listen to Joe. I love it. Thank you. And I love how Theo, you've gone from being Theo to a friend and then on the next <laughs> review, you'll just be that guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that review. And as I've mentioned previously, the reviews help us attract high quality guests and that helps you best ever listeners get better stuff to help you make more money and do the stuff you want to do. So please continue to leave reviews, enjoyed our conversation, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan, and conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff. To identify the best loan terms, go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. The Real Estate Innovators Podcast explores innovation in commercial real estate technology, design, and development. They celebrate the companies and innovators who are changing the business of commercial real estate and are inspiring the future of how we work, live, and play. Find out more at therealestateinnovators.com.